Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in your word, um, as you already have. We pray, Father, that uh, the proclamation of your word would teach us more about who you are. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the church is looking a little rough these days. Seems that everyone who once cared about her has become an expert on all of her flaws. She's sick. She's riddled with cancer, perhaps, which silently and slowly grows and eats away beneath the surface. Abuse of power has made it to her lymph nodes. Scandal spreads throughout her lungs. The prosperity gospel flows freely through her blood undetected. Hate and xenophobia have metastasized in her stomach. No one can agree, of course, on the treatment. A transfusion might help pump some new life back into her bloodstream. A transplant might breathe some 21st century air into her lungs. And maybe a little cosmetic surgery would help freshen her up. She is over 2,000 years old, after all. Yes, the church is looking a little rough these days, for sure. Well, admittedly, this is a bit of a cynical caricature of some of the valuations that we hear about the bride of Christ almost daily now. Now, it's true that abuses of power and scandal seem to describe much of the modern church and modern Christianity, at least in the West. But St. Paul has a very different understanding of the church. He's fully aware of all the scandal and the abuse, of course. You could just read the books of First and Second Corinthians to see that. Yet he never let his cynicism, or cynicism at all, inform his ecclesiology. St. Paul never let his cynicism or never let cynicism inform his understanding and theology of the church. Today, you and I face the challenge of seeing the beauty of the body of Christ. His church, despite all of the sinful shortcomings of her members. And the truth is, if you are a Christian, the church is where you belong. The church is where you belong. And even this is part of the good news of the gospel. Well, last week we finished chapters 9 through 11 in Paul's letter to the Romans. He summed up the relationship between the Jewish and Gentile Christians by comparing us all to an olive tree. The olive tree is Israel. The olive tree of Israel maintains its roots and its trunk. And those Israelites who have accepted Jesus as Messiah remain on the tree, while those who have not accepted him have been cut off. Gentile believers have been grafted into this olive tree by faith. And he ended that section by saying that God has consigned all to disobedience so that he could have mercy 
on all. Well, this week we sort of turn a corner in the letter to the Romans and head down our final stretch in our series. As St. Paul admonishes us to live the gospel out, not just individually, but corporately as a church. Because the gospel has united each of us with Christ and into Christ, all Christians belong in the church. So you belong in the church. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, we'll begin by looking at the first, uh, chap- or first verse of chapter 12 of Romans. And there Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the theme of God's mercy in the previous few chapters acts as sort of a hinge as we move into chapter 12. It's by this very same mercy that God extends to all believers, Jew and Gentile alike, that St. Paul now makes his appeal to the Roman Christians. That is, in light of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ and our union with him, we have now been grafted in to a new reality that completely reorients our existence. Way back in chapter 6, if you remember, St. Paul exhorted us, and this is from chapter 6, verse 13, he said, he exhorted us not to present our members to sin as instruments of ungodliness, but rather to present ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and our members to God as instruments of righteousness. That is, we once belonged to an old order, the order of death, and now we belong to a new order. We belong in the church. And here in chapter 12, he says much the same thing. We're free to present ourselves to whomever or whatever we please to present ourselves to. As recipients of eternal life, it makes no sense for us to present ourselves to sin. That's that's the whole point. This is what Paul means by a living sacrifice. Unlike the sacrifices prescribed in the Old Testament, where the animal's blood must be shed, Christ's blood was shed once for all. So remember that through baptism, his death now counts as our death. And his resurrection now counts as our resurrection. You see, all we have to offer God is an offering of life. Not an offering of death, but of life. Because we have been cleansed, and forgiven of all of our sins, and because we now belong to a new order, the church, we are set apart, or holy and acceptable to a set-apart God, or to a holy God. And Paul says that this is our spiritual worship. And by this, he just means that this is an offering that we make not out of fear, not out of duty, but out of a sincerity of heart, 
Some translations say that this is our reasonable act of worship or our true act of worship. It's with sincerity of heart that we offer this. And this is appropriate because we now belong to a new reality. Look at verse 2. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, belonging is just about the most fundamental need of every human being. This is one of the most painful parts of growing up for me. I became a Christian when I was about 14 years old and spent the next 10 years of my life trying to figure out where I belong. Throughout college or high school and college, I thought I didn't belong to the church. I spent so much of my time trying to conform to the world because the church seemed irrelevant and boring and whitewashed. Starting to see a pattern there. The friends that I was making, were, were, they were real. They weren't pretending to be someone that they weren't. But something wasn't adding up for me. You see, Christ had so fundamentally changed me that I could not present myself to the world as my friends had. And here, Paul is saying that there are two orders to which we can belong. We can belong to the world or we can belong to God. If I have been transferred from the world to God by the gospel... I no longer belong to the world. Now, eventually, for me, God led me very gently back to the church. And I finally admitted that it was my home. It was the place where I belong. And it was my home the entire time. I just didn't know it. So, friends, like it or not, if God has transferred you from death to life through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you belong in the church. You belong in the church. So if she looks a little rough today, it's because we all look a little rough. So welcome. Welcome to the church that looks really rough because we all look rough. This is where we belong. Now, I want to say a few things about being critical of the church. I was uh, thinking through some of this. And I was reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, which says this. Paul is talking to the Corinthian churches, and he's saying, For what have I to do with judging others on the outside? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? This is Paul saying this. God judges those outside. And then he quotes scripture by saying, purge the evil person from among you. Now, there's a lot of context there, but Paul's point is, we're not to judge the outside, but there's some responsibility of judging somehow on the inside of the church. So you and I have an obligation to discern between right and wrong within the church. You see, no leader, no priest, no parish, no brother, no sister in Christ is exempt from correction. 
That should be sobering for us. That correction is done in love, but we're not exempt from it. In one sense, we are always to look with a critical eye or a discerning eye toward our fellow Christians and the communities that they inhabit. However, look at verse 3 of Romans 12. Paul says, Therefore, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Here Paul is saying that humility is the key for what he calls sober judgment. And we all know better than to offer criticisms without admitting that we are also ourselves imperfect. But we also know that we can say that without an ounce of humility. And the point that I want to make here is that we need to remember that we belong to the very church that we criticize when we criticize the church. We think with sober judgment from within the church, not without the church. Now, I may not be guilty of what I see others doing, but I'm not exactly innocent, am I? The church is a community of redeemed sinners, friends. Redeemed sinners. And we all belong to this church. To think more of ourselves than we ought is to exempt ourselves from the very criticisms that we offer. So I want to say this. Be careful, beloved. Many depart from the church these days, often with valid criticisms, but refuse to accept that they belong to the very church they criticize. We don't want to think so highly of ourselves that we deem our fellow Christians as somehow beneath us. That's a real danger. Why? Why don't we want to look at Christians, other Christians that way? Well, it's because we actually belong to one another. So not only do we belong in the church, we belong to one another. Look at verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, mem- individually members one of another. So I belong to you. You may not like me, but we're stuck with each other. Uh, today, Janie and I uh, celebrate 18 years of marriage. 18 years. Woo! Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Now, we like each other, so we don't assume, we don't look, think of ourselves as stuck with each other. At least, I'm going to talk for myself here. I can't talk for her. But God has gifted us very differently, her and I. But when we're at our best, we complement each other greatly. And we both benefit from that. But 18 years is a long enough time to experience conflict. And no matter how bad the tension may get between us, eventually things are resolved because we belong to one another. We belong to one another. 
Now, marriage is a voluntary relationship between two individuals, but our union with the Lord, Jesus Christ, unites us to more than just Jesus Christ. He unites us to one another. And we belong to each other because we belong to Christ. And that's part of the whole deal. So when conflict in the church occurs, reconciliation doesn't mean that we all have to become best friends. You need to hear that and understand that. But what it does mean is that we love one another and we forgive one another. That's what being reconciled to Christ means because we belong to each other. We belong to each other, and, if we, and when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought, what we end up doing is separating ourselves from those to whom we belong. And this is tragic, because we are all necessary to the church. We are all necessary in the very place that we belong. So we belong in the church, we belong to one another, and we are necessary in the place we belong. Look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Yes, it says prophecy there. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, Paul's list here of gifts is not exhaustive, but he gives us some of the needs of the church. Prophecy here is not fortune-telling, right? But it's an utterance from the heart of God spoken to the church or an individual within the church by another individual in the church for their edification. Not for their condemnation, but for their building up. This is a gift, And the church needs it. The church needs prophets. It's necessary to the church. Now, some of us don't have that gift, but others do, and we need it. Service is an obvious need. Now, every week when we're kind of cleaning up after after the meal, I walk through the fellowship hall, and it never fails. There's somebody sweeping. There's somebody cleaning tables. Everybody's pitched in and working. It's an act of service. And it's beautiful. And when that doesn't happen, when some of you are out of town that are normally doing that, man, we miss you. Because you're necessary. You're needed in the body of Christ. You're needed in the church and the place that you belong. Teachers are necessary. We need sound and solid folks to share their knowledge of God and his word so that we can stay faithful to the gospel once delivered to the saints. You who have the gift of exhortation, that's the ability to encourage and even gently rebuke others. You do a disservice to the church by keeping your mouth shut. Some of you have the gift of generosity with wealth and possessions, and you give generously Do you have the gift of leadership? The church needs that. I need that. (laughs) I watch some of you step up and lead all the time. 
whether that's organizing a potluck or a, a service project of some kind. We need that. And nearly all of you have a compassionate heart, and you're eager to show mercy to your neighbors. And this is necessary, not only within the church, but outside of the church as well. You see, you are necessary in the very place where you belong the most, in the church. Now, I don't want to paint too broad of a brush with a too broad of a brush here. I know just about all of you, and haven't you, none of you have given me any reason to think that what I'm about to describe describes you. But I know how I'm prone to this kind of thinking, so it might be relevant to some of you as well. We've been sort of conditioned to think of church or the church like we think of a gym membership or a toothpaste brand or something like that. How does this suit me? Is this a flavor that I could get used to on a daily basis? Are the hours suitable for my schedule? Is the music any good? It isn't typical for us to ask, where can my gifts be employed? Where can I use my gift? Where can I belong that needs my giftings? It's really fundamental to Paul's ecclesiology here. We don't belong to the body of Christ just to engage in self-indulgence, right? And to grow fat on the blessings that we receive from his church and from her programs. Oh, we belong to the body of Christ because we are necessary to her. You are needed. And he's provided the church with everything she needs. And when we step out of it, when we think we've got it all figured out and that the priest doesn't have a clue what he's doing, which sometimes it's true, then we refuse to use those gifts that God's given to us. And when that happens, friends, the whole church suffers. One of my burdens in church planting, planting Mission St. James, or just in ministry in general, is to show the world, especially Christians, how beautiful the bride of Christ is. In the eyes of many, she is looking rough. But we need to see the church through the eyes of Christ, because through his eyes, she is beautiful, and she is worth dying for. Now, could it be that she is most beautiful to the world and to the church when every member is exercising their gifts faithfully, when we are offering our bodies as living sacrifices? Now, you might be saying, I have no idea what my gifts are. Well, if that's the case, come talk to me. Let's talk about that. Let's figure that out. Because I don't think it's probably as much of a mystery as you might think it is. Chances are you're probably already exercising your gifts now. You may need to grow in that. You may need opportunities. You may, be, you may need opportunities to even fail at it. But you have something to contribute. That's the point. So remember that you belong in the church and that we belong to one another. And you're necessary in that very place where you belong. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given your son to die for us. 
that we might benefit from the grace and the mercy that you have shown to all who believe you. Father, would you redeem our, our, our vision of your bride? Would you help us to participate in your plan of redemption in the world by exercising our own gifts and giving our own bodies as living sacrifices? Lord, that not only within the church, but outside the church, your church, your bride, your body would be a beautiful witness to your love and mercy that you show the entire world. So, Father, I pray that as we, um, as we wrap up our, our Roman series, Lord, that these truths would be so ingrained in us and change us and change our understanding of not just who we are in relationship to you and one another, but to your church as well. And we pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.